So um, that's, that's who I am. And in honor of the graduating seniors, I thought we should have a sermon about fear. <laughs> so uh, we're going to talk about fear in Psalm 23 because there's a lot of fears in transitioning, right? In transitions, there's, there's things to be afraid of, especially for the seniors. Uh, am I going to make friends? Um, am I gonna am I gonna make it in classes? I mean, one of the questions that you ask as you leave high school into college and college and beyond is, am I gonna make it in this world? Like, do I have enough to get through? Like, do I have what it takes, or, or is life just gonna overwhelm me? And um, there's a lot of fears for all of us, and that question really never goes away. And so I thought we should be in Psalm 23. And I actually asked my students a couple of weeks ago at a Bible study what they're afraid of, and some of the things they said surprised me. They said time. They're afraid of time, that they, they might not get everything done. They're afraid of failure, afraid of being rejected, afraid of, of not making it, afraid of never having love, never finding love. There's so many things to be afraid of. And this is why the number one command in all of Scripture is do not fear. The one most common command that God tells his people is to not be afraid. Why? Because we are prone to fear. As human beings, we are prone to be afraid, and, and the Bible knows that, and so it talks about it in Psalm 23, and invites us to actually pray these fears to God. And so as I read this text, uh, I want you to ask yourself this question. Why does David say to not be afraid? The psalmist, David, says, I will not fear evil. Why should he not be afraid? What, what is he appealing to? With that, please hear the good news of a God who invites us to pray our fears. Psalm 23, the Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, another translation is the valley of deep darkness. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Lord, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, or only, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. It is good, it is true, it is beautiful, and it's given to you in love. Let me pray. Lord, thank you that you gave us 150 psalms to sing and to pray, the kind of words you want to shape the way we pray and think about you and this world and ourselves. And I pray for all of us here um, as we talk about you as our good shepherd and we talk about our fears, that, Lord, we would hear you, we would be comforted, and, God, that you would draw near. Uh, in Christ's name I pray, amen. So, really I think this passage gives us three things in our fears. And so, again, for you seniors, these are three things to take with you as you graduate and for all of us. And, and this is the first thing. You have a good shepherd. You have a good shepherd. The lie of fear tells you, it, it tells you that God isn't good. <laughs> It makes you begin to doubt that God is good. When you, when you give in to your fears, you begin to doubt that God is good. And I want the, to remind you that this passage tells you you have a good shepherd. In verse 1 it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in need. My shepherd. He knows me personally. It's an intimate term. This God knows me. And you know, here's the thing about sheep. I learned about sheep. Sheep will not lie down unless they know that they are safe. 
They will not rest unless they know they're safe. God is a good shepherd. You can rest. You can lie down. He knows everything about you and he still stays with you. He's a good shepherd. You have nothing to need when you're with him. And then verses 2 and 3, he makes me lie down in terrible shame and guilt. No, 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 in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So here's the other thing about sheep, which many of you know. Sheep are dumb, okay? (laughs) They're not intelligent, and we're like actually identified as sheep in this passage. I don't know what God's trying to tell us. But sheep are not smart. And in fact, one of the things they'll do is they will stay in their place where they're at and they will not move unless someone comes and guides them. They will die of hunger and thirst and stay in one place unless someone guides them. Or they'll wander off and get lost because they're dumb sheep. And what you realize is every sheep needs a guide. It needs someone to guide them to places that they're supposed to go. They're in places of emptiness and they need to go to places of fullness. And our God is saying, I'm that guide. I'm your shepherd. Because you're going to miss the green grass if you wander off without me. In those arid climates, there are these paths that you take. And at times, it's, it's, you know, not all of it's green pastures, right? Arid um, climates. And there's actually grass sometimes will be clumped together in these places of shadows and places of rocks. And the sheep would miss it. Because their eyes are focused up here and they're just being dumb. And they'll just walk right past the thing that they're actually looking for. And what God is trying to say is, by identifying us with the sheep, is that when you give in to fear, you will focus on the wrong thing. And you will wander away from what you actually need, what is actually good for you. And in your fears of wanting to not feel left out, you're going to turn to people pleasing. Or in your fears of failure, you're never going to take a risk or you're going to lie about your, your, your hidden things, right? Fear will take you to focus on the wrong things, but don't focus on your fears, Focus on the good shepherd who is guiding you. He knows what is good for you. He wants to give you good things. God actually likes you and loves you and wants to give you good things. You have a good shepherd who laid down his life for you. That's the first thing this passage teaches us. In our fears, you have a good shepherd. But secondly, you also need to face the darkness. You need to face the darkness because... The lie that fear will tell you, the second lie is this, that fear makes you want to ignore the darkness or avoid it or act like it's not there or reinterpret it as something that it isn't. Reimagine it. Um, There's a a book that's on Mike's ban list for my kids. Yeah, you can pray for their counseling. I do this. I have children's books that I put on my ban list. And one of them is Be Brave Little Penguin. Because in Be Brave Little Penguin, the penguin's scared to get into the waters. Because he goes, mom, there might be monsters in there that will eat me. And the mom is like, no, there actually will be your friends. What if there's beach balls and a party? And I'm like, no, the little penguin's right. There are seals that will eat the little penguin. There's no beach balls in the water. Okay, don't be brave, little penguin. Be smart. Don't go in the water. This passage, this is why I love the Bible. Because it is not naive. It is so honest about our experiences as a human being. And in verse 4, the psalmist says this, even though I walk, it's a present tense. Even though I am walking, like it's inevitable, all of us, and maybe some of you are right now, walking in the darkness. The valley of the shadow of death, another translation is the valley of deep darkness. I am walking through this valley of darkness. 
It's inevitable. You have to face the darkness. And here's the crazy thing. Jesus in verses 1 through 3, our good shepherd, it's Jesus, by the way, uh, he, he leads you by like still waters and green pastures. And then in verse 4, he's leading you into the darkness. Like, why is he doing that? And if you think about darkness, it's, meditate on darkness, it, it's disorienting. It's completely disorienting. And, and you can't see what's there. There's a lot of things to be afraid of in the darkness. But I want you to face the darkness, and I think the passage wants you to do that for two reasons. One is, as you face the darkness, you realize that some things aren't actually as scary as you thought they were. Like, some things actually, like, you're afraid of this fear, and there's, you don't need to be afraid. There, there's actually nothing scary there. I remember running once early in the morning. It sounds like a humble brag. I haven't done it in months. But I was running around this lake, and I remember I saw this white thing coming at me, and I freaked out. I screamed. I had podcast in. And I, I sort of sprained my ankle, and I look, and it was just this little deer. This little deer with like a little white tail saying, hey, you're just in my world right now. <laughs> I had nothing to be afraid of. Sometimes what we're afraid of is actually nothing, right? But the other reason I think we need to face the darkness is because some things are, right? There's some things that are scary. I, I, um, I asked my children a couple weeks ago at breakfast, uh, what are you afraid of? And my daughter's five-year-old said, well, monsters and wolves and I'm like yeah those are scary and my seven-year-old very exact and literal was like well the darkness of course and I said uh great I can use this in a sermon I'm terrible I have to pay them a dollar every time I use them in an illustration by the way so I am losing money this morning but I asked them I said well why, why are you guys afraid of the darkness and my daughter Eleanor goes well because you can bump into things you can't see that will bite you and I was like what are you where what's happening at night when you sleep Eleanor like we need to move you to the couch and just check that out because I don't know what that is but it was a very insightful comment that in the darkness, there are things that can hurt you. There are things we should be afraid of in this world. You will face dark things, and many of you know this. I mean, in my own life and in my friendships and in my family, there have been affairs. There have been divorces. We have lost children. There have been uh, cancer, right? Your dad is going to get cancer. Your, your friends are going to get cancer. There's a myriad of sexual perversions and addictions that you will face. Your kids might grow up and not know Jesus or might reject you. You will have terrible fights. Like there are incredibly dark things to face in this world. And what you need in that darkness is to know that you are not alone. You need to share it with someone. And the most amazing thing about this passage is that Jesus is with you in the darkness. And that's the third thing. That you have a good shepherd, you need to face the darkness, but you are not facing it alone. Jesus is with you because what fear tells you, lie number three, is that you're completely alone in this. No one understands, no one gets it. You don't share this, you're all alone, you're by yourself. And fear tells you that. But the number one command in scripture is do not fear because the number one promise that God gives his people is because I am with you. Do not be afraid, I am with you. He says this to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He says this to Moses and the Israelites as they go into Canaan. He says this through the prophet Zechariah. Do not fear because behold, your king is coming and he's on a donkey. But your king is coming to be with you. I know you've been in a lot of dark places right now and your king is here. I am with you. And here's a couple of things that are so comforting and so helpful about Jesus being with us in the darkness. First is this, that Jesus reorients you in the darkness. See, darkness is disorienting. But Jesus reorients you back to what you know is true and believe and need to cling to in life. 
Uh, I had a friend who was another RUF campus minister who shared a story of a student who was blind. And so, right, darkness. His whole life is darkness. And trying uh, at the library, um, excuse me, at his campus, if, if somebody would take him to the first step of the library, he is able to get to everywhere else on campus from that one step. So that library, that one step reoriented him in the darkness to know where he was, who he was, what he was trying to accomplish. Jesus is that for us in the church. He is that. The church and the word and the sacraments and prayer, other Christians, other believers encouraging you, they reorient you to what actually is true about you in the darkness. Because we forget. We totally forget. But the other thing is, um, is that Jesus doesn't re just reorient you. He also comforts you in the darkness. Um, when I was preparing for this and praying through this in my office, I, I just kind of blurted out, Jesus hold me. <laughs> Lord hold me. It's kind of embarrassing to admit. But I just, as I was reading through this, thinking about the dark things in my own life and my friends, I just want someone to hold me, right? You just want someone to hold you and to comfort you in the darkness. And he actually tells us what is going to comfort us in verse 4. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now here's the thing about the rod and the staff. One of the reasons that a shepherd would have a rod and a staff is because as you go into the darkness in, in the sheep, you can't see anything in this valley of darkness. They're going to go over the cliff. They're going to go into ravines. They're going to hurt themselves. And so the rod would actually smack the sheep to keep them from hurting themselves. And, and the painful truth of this is that sometimes Jesus causes you pain because he loves you. Sometimes Jesus is going to smack you because he wants to keep you from greater harm. Not always, that's not always, that's not always a reason. But somehow, sometimes that rod comforts you in that way. Um, you know, I, this is a small example, but I think it explains it. My, again, Luke. My seven-year-old, um, he needed to go to the doctor for something, and it was just simple. Either he got a steroid shot, which are pretty painful if you're a kid, or you take medicine ten times twice a day, or twice a day for ten days. And we logically talked about it. I said, son, it just makes more sense to get the shot. It'll last one second, and you're done. Also, I don't have to remember to give you the medicine <laughs> twice a day for ten days. And being the logical kid he was, he said, okay, I'll get the shot. And as we get in there, um, that's fine. The nurse comes in with the needle, and he starts to scream. He starts to cry. And I'm like, son, it's just one second. I begin to hold him. He looks at me in the eyes like I've betrayed him. He's got tears in his eyes, and he's screaming to me, I want the 10-day, twice-a-day medicine. <laughs> I want the 10-day, twice-a-day medicine. And they gave him the shot, and, uh, and then I'm holding him. And I'm like, see, son, it was just a second. It was just a second. And he said, Daddy, it was three seconds. <laughs> but now look, that's a small example. It was real for him. But it was a small example that sometimes um, the pain hurts and we don't understand and we're screaming for something else. Sometimes Jesus exposes us, our sins and our secrets, and he calls us and bites us into repentance and it's painful. And he's smacking us and exposing us because he doesn't want us to head over the cliff. It's actually because he loves us. And, and the opportunities to repent in our life should be actually moments of comfort for us. Because we realize that Jesus 
is for us and he loves us. But secondly, the other thing a rod and a staff would do is that that shepherd would fight for his sheep. So, you know, there are wolves and bears and lions that want to eat sheep. And the shepherd would use that rod and that staff to fight those animals for his sheep. Jesus, as your good shepherd, fights for you. He gets in the middle of, of death and fears and things that can hurt you and fights for you. And in the darkness of the garden of Gethsemane, he is afraid. He's like, Lord, is there any other way? I don't want to do this. And yet he fights for you and through that heads into the darkness and de of death, into the tomb of your fears. And he lets darkness swallow him up. All of your fears are swallow Jesus up. And he fights all the way to his death. But then you notice in verses 5 and 6. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup of joy and wine overflows. Goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. That's what's defining me, not fear. And I shall dwell in your house, Lord, not the tomb. I think, I think the guy dies in verse 4. I think they're in the darkness and they die. And I think in verses 5 and 6 we have a resurrection. I now have a feast in the table of my enemies. Those enemies who just killed me, who just destroyed me or just destroyed you, my shepherd, now we're feasting in front of them. And what this teaches us is that your fears are not the end of your story. The dark things of your life are not the end of your story. At the end, Jesus is alive. He comes out of the tomb. That, I think, is the good news, that fear doesn't win. The gospel actually gives us hope, that there is hope outside of the darkness. And so I hope that Covenant Presbyterian Church has been a place of still waters for you. I hope it's been a place of green pastures. I hope it's been a safe place where you can rest, as the elder was praying and talking about earlier for 10 years here. And I want you to know that God, your good shepherd, loves you. Like in Jesus Christ... You are enough that he fought for you and died for you. And while the rest of the world wants you to prove yourself to them, your coaches, your teachers, sometimes your parents, your kids, your friends, prove to me that you're enough. Jesus says you already are enough. That's why I fought for you. That's why I died for you. That's why I rose for you. You were already worth it to me. You have a good shepherd who loves you. And so the darkness is real, but so is light. And fear is real, but so is love. And perfect love drives out our fears. And in Christ, you are not alone in the darkness. He's your good shepherd who loves you. He died for you. He faced the darkness for you. And even now, he is with you. And this is why he says, do not fear, because I am with you. Um, I'm going to close with an image that I think cap captures this. And again, it's one of my, fam one of my family. Peter, my youngest, he's three, he was three and a half at the time. We went to Silver Dollar City. Some of you guys have heard of it. Vegas of the Midwest is what they say. I don't know. Um, but we're in line. He can't ride a lot of rides. He's small. But the one he is allowed to ride is called Fire in the Hole. And the whole ride is you get on the uh, roller coaster and you slowly ride into the darkness. And there are creepy, scary things on the walls. And you do that for most of the ride. And then at the very end... Fire in the hole, you drop straight into a darkness abyss of Sheol. I don't know what it is. All the kids are crying. I think you do it twice. I'm not crying, but I'm a little scared. You do it twice, and then you come out into the light, and you're like, why did we do that? Like, what is wrong with human beings, right? But Peter the whole time is getting scared naturally in line and, um, uh, for this experience. And so I get down, I look him in the eye, and I said, son, I know you're afraid. 
but I'm going to be with you the whole time. You don't have to do this, but, but if you do, like, I'm going to be with you, okay? I'm going to sit right next to you. And he's, like, sucking his finger, and he's like, okay. And we get into the roller coaster, and we're about to head into the darkness, and he reaches over, and he grabs my hand. And that is how we went into the darkness. And it was scary, and it was afraid, but we came out the other side. And that is the hope of this passage for you. And that is the hope of the gospel, is that Jesus, he holds your hand into the darkness. And because of the resurrection, we know he will lead us to the other side. Let me pray. Lord, there are so many things in life to be afraid of. And in those moments, I so often forget, we often forget as your people, that you are a good shepherd who wants to give us good things, and you love us. And we forget the end of the story, that you rose again from the dead, that you're alive right now as our good shepherd praying for us, and you are with us. Please be with these men and women, and especially, Lord, these graduating seniors as they head off into the the world trying to make their way in it remind them that they are already enough in Christ that they don't have to prove themselves to the world but because they are loved they are able to now serve and love others out of that God be with us we pray in Christ's name I pray amen